What does this mean? Martin Luther asked that question 500 years ago to help regular people connect to the Christian journey. In the next few minutes, the pastors of Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul will talk about some of the Bible lessons that we read in church, connecting a 2,000-year-old book to life in the 21st century. Welcome to What Does This Mean? I'm Pastor Bradley Schmeling. I'm Pastor Lois Palmeyer, And I'm Pastor Javen Swanson. We decided to do this podcast because sometimes the Bible is easy to understand and sometimes it's difficult to understand even for your pastors. And so we wanted you to know that sometimes we share the struggle to have these uh, readings make sense to us. Today, we're going to look at the readings for Pentecost. Pentecost is the 50th day after Easter. We celebrate Easter for a full seven weeks, but the people of God traditionally had a celebration on Pentecost, the 50th day after Passover, when they gathered in Jerusalem. And for the early disciples, 50 days after the resurrection, they gathered as that part of that event and a miraculous, wonderful power of the Holy Spirit was poured upon them. So we understand Pentecost is the beginning of the church when we experience God's power poured out in the Holy Spirit upon us. Great. Thanks, Pastor Lois. Let's take a look at the readings for Pentecost. We'll do this, as usual, in three parts with a little music between the reflections. In the space between the readings, we hope you'll take a few breaths and center yourself or take a break or run your errands, whatever you need to do. We'll be here when you get back. Pastor Bradley, you have the first reading. Would you give us a little background? I would love to because this is a great story. The first reading is the Tower of Babel story. And this comes in a section of Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible, called the prehistory. The first 11 chapters go back to the beginning of creation and then trace the history up until the call of Abraham, which really signals the beginning of Israel's history. So this is part of just how we get to the creation of Israel. And this little story about building a tower um, probably is a very ancient story that was told around the campfire by many cultures in the Near East. And everyone kind of gave their own spin to the story. And um, like so many of these ancient stories, it did a number of things kind of all at once. It sort of – you can imagine a kid saying, why do people talk in different languages? And somebody says, well, let me tell you a story. And it also probably highlights a conflict between people who live in the city and people who wandered out in the wilderness with their flocks. There was a conflict between city people and country people, maybe something we still kind of understand. And people are like, why is that? Well, let me tell you a story. Why don't we just tell the story? Let me tell you a story. 
from the Tower of Babel. Genesis 11 verses 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. And the Lord said, Look, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there, so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Thank you. I sometimes run. I'm not a very good runner, but I try to sometimes. I always feel like I'm kind of struggling. I feel like I'm so slow when I do. I feel like um, turtles could pass me by. (laughs) But last summer, Darren, my husband, wanted to run a 5K with Walker Methodist where he was working at the time. And so I'm like, sure. We ran that together. Well, his legs are longer than mine and um, and he's a better runner. And But anyway, I was determined to keep up with him. So I did. My time was so much better than it had ever been because I was running with someone who kind of kept me moving and kept me from focusing on myself, which I think what happens so often when I'm running, I'm focused on how uncomfortable I feel. But being with him kept propelling me forward. And I thought of that story because to me, it helps understand what's going on in this story. I think we hear this often through traditional interpretations that say, well, this is about human pride, you know, and we shouldn't think so much of ourselves to try to be like God and look what happens when you try to touch the heavens. Um, and maybe that's a perfectly good read. The challenge with it is that it makes the creation of languages and cultures into a kind of judgment. Punishment. Yeah, punishment. That the reason we speak different languages and look different and act different is a sign of uh, God's judgment on the world. Um, Walter Brueggemann, who's an Old Testament scholar, has a little different read on this. And he reminds people to go back to the beginning in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve leave and they get this command, which is to go forth, um, to fill the earth, to fill it 
with blessing. So the job of human life is to take blessing to every corner of the earth. And what happens here at the tower is they actually get afraid about that. And so they gather together, they build a wall, they build this big building. And in that read of the story, the languages actually disperses them so that they continue to do what God yearns for human beings to do, which is to keep going, to keep carrying blessing into the world. And I I love that read of the story so much better because it makes then different cultures, different languages part of the way that we're continuing to nurture God's blessing in the the creation. That God's blessing then lives into new cultures and where it could only be in that little tower, now it's spread out, this sense of all all the different places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I I like that interpretation because it's it's similar to how I've read the story, but I still hear the judgment in it. And I hear a judgment on our desire to to be with people who are just like us. And maybe there is a certain pride in that too, that we want to be able to be powerful together. And so like, let's, and I want, I'm comfortable when everyone's just like me. And here, what I what I hear in the text is, no, it's actually not good when we're all exactly the same. It's a great blessing to have difference and different languages. And I hadn't heard that interpretation, Pastor Bradley, but I think that's a great kind of add on to how I've often read this story, which is not so much about human pride, although it's partly that too, but I've often heard this as sort of a judgment on sameness and sort of like homogeneity. Like Mm. it's actually really, it's not good for us to just all be the same. Diversity is a beautiful gift. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's the beauty too of these kind of biblical texts is that they speak in all kinds of different ways. And we would be wrong to say, this is the interpretation of this parable or this story as if there were only one, that they're always nuanced. And sometimes they say different and sometimes even the opposite things. And that's totally okay. And at different times and in different places, we need those different interpretations to speak into a particular moment. So it's good that we have lots of ways of understanding these texts. Yeah. Well, let's take a break there and we'll come back to the next lesson. Welcome back. Our second reading today is again from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. So we said last week, Acts is kind of part two of Luke's gospel. And here in in the first chapter of Acts, Jesus uh, has ascended to heaven. We've read about the ascension. That was last week. And um, in the second part of the first chapter, they, the 11 disciples choose a replacement for Judas, um, of course, who betrayed Jesus. And um, so they've now chosen Judas's replacement. And that brings us to this reading today. And um, 
this is really Peter's kind of his first sermon in a post-Jesus world. Um, and I always keep in the back of my mind just what a bumbling fool Peter and the disciples were throughout their time with Jesus. And here, and really in all of Acts, we get to see how the disciples grow into these amazing leaders. But here maybe is a first glimpse of Peter living into leadership. Pastor Bradley, would you read this for us? I would. And this is like, this is 21 verses long. So this is a great time to practice listening to scripture, to kind of figure out how to stick with it. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judah and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they will prophesy." And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So it's a long reading, but it's a good one. It is a very good one. It's a great reading. I was thinking this as I was preparing for this podcast about I – I preached on Easter this year, which is the first time I've had a chance to actually preach an Easter sermon. And as I was writing that sermon, I was thinking, how do you make sense of a story that's so impossible to believe um, that someone who died came back to life? And I was kind of wrestling with that. And then I thought all of us in various ways – 
know that there's some truth in that story that we've all experienced where in order to experience some sort of new life or rebirth or something that we have to let go of something that's been holding us back or we we have to let something sort of be put to death so that something new can take its place and um, and maybe that maybe that's the truth of the re- resurrection and I think all of us have different ways of understanding that truth um, and and maybe the challenge is to figure out how do we talk about resurrection in a way that makes sense to whoever it is we're trying to talk to and I think that's what's going on in this story today that um, so they're all gathered together these Jews from all over the place um, who speak different languages and they're from different cultures and understand things differently and suddenly they're able to all hear the good news in their own languages Um, and the point being the disciples need to figure out how to bring the proclamation of Jesus's death and resurrection to people in ways that they can hear it and understand it, that they can't just go say the same thing to every single person that they encounter because they don't even all speak the same language, much less have the same life experience. And that's what I'm thinking about here is just how um, as we go into the world and try to share good news, we have to find the way to share it that makes sense to the people that we're talking to. Isn't it interesting in the text that Peter's speaking and all these people can understand him? They hear him speaking. It says, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. But then they say, you know, it, it's so much noise that other others look and say, well, they, they must all be drunk. And it's like, well, you wouldn't be drunk if you could say, oh, I'm. we're all hearing. But there must have been some kind of conversation back. You know, people are responding in such a way that they're all speaking different languages. And I, I like that given what you just said. It's They actually, when we try and translate the incredible news of God's love for others, we might say it differently to different people because of their life situation. But then they're going to respond to us in ways we had never heard before either with a voice that we've never heard before. And all of a sudden, we're going to be having this dialogue that from the outside sounds crazy, but it actually is a way that God's being revealed or re- reborn, you know, com- coming to life again, resurrected in our conversation. Right. I hadn't even considered that. Then the disciples have to respond <laughs> to, in the other language too and and be prepared to speak about their different experience. Well, and isn't that part of what this story does is this initiates the whole movement. I mean, this is what gets everything started. And they're like that Tower of Babel story that keeps people moving into the world with blessing. This is the story that moves the church into all of these different places where it doesn't necessarily know how to tell the story, but has to discover that by coming to know the people in different places. And all of the disciples went to worlds and with those worlds, different cultural understandings, different metaphors, different sensibilities, and had to learn them, understand them, and speak out of them in order for people to understand. I think that's really powerful. It reminds me of that later when Paul 
writes, I forget where he writes this, but to the Jew, I became like a Jew. To the Greek, I became like a Greek. Um, he's trying to understand where they are and then, and then engage them in that way. And I think this is still when missionaries go to other parts of the world and do God's work. I also love in this passage that the question, what does this mean, which we, we call these podcasts, but it's this you know famous Luther question, but it starts right here. So from the beginning of the church, people have been trying to figure out what does this mean? What are we, what's even happening right now in our midst? And how do we understand what God's doing in our, in our lives? Well, I think this text too raises the questions about what do we mean when we talk about the Holy Spirit? That Pentecost is the third great festival of the church, you know, Easter, Christmas, and now Pentecost when we really talk about the Holy Spirit, which is kind of this mysterious dimension of who God is. And when we were talking before, I thought, well, maybe a description of the Holy Spirit is that force that just keeps us moving. Um, And it made me think of kind of this human, like the will to live. You hear hear that said of people uh, going through great suffering or really struggling that deep within human life is this will to keep going and i wonder if that's that's the holy spirit and whenever we're moved to do acts of justice or to speak with kindness or to build a world of of shalom and gentle kindness that that's that's the sign that the holy spirit is actually present in things Maybe that's a good place to take a break. Welcome back. Our gospel reading for Pentecost Sunday is John 14, 8 through 17. You'll remember John's gospel has this long section after the woman comes and anoints Jesus. Then he gathers with his disciples, washes their feet, teaches them uh, to love one another. And then there's a long several chapters where he talks to them about the last days and uh, his prayer for them in the coming uh, coming days. And this is still part of that section. So we're probably on the night before Jesus dies in the middle of John 14. And several uh, apostles are asking him questions. And now Philip's going to take a turn and ask a question about what are you talking about? We really just don't understand what this is about. Javen, will you read it for us? Yes. Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. 
believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, because he abides with you, and he will be in you. Thank you. So we often run into people that just don't have much of a faith. They really don't um, experience a sense of God or the power of God in the world, the power of God in their lives. And it's easy for them to say, I don't know. I just don't have any proof of that. I really don't feel anything. I don't know what you're people are talking about when you talk about God. And I think a lot of us who have a strong life of faith or who are active in church understand what they're asking, but have the sense of, have you not even seen it? Like the things that we've been talking about or the things that I've seen? This this story really has this uh, description of Jesus saying, I am God. I'm The Father and I are one. What you see in me, this is it. This is what God looks like. And after I'm gone, the Spirit will be with you. The Spirit will be in you. You will have the Spirit. You will have God's presence. You don't have to be asking, well, I don't know what that looks like. It's This is it. You know, what we have right here, this is God's living presence in our midst. And Jesus said to Philip, you will do mighty things. You will do th- greater things than I've done, which is always a little scary for us. <laughs> to I, hear lo- that. I really love that part of the text where Jesus says, you're going to do greater things than even I did, which is really astounding, astounding. to think about that. Um, and I think it's really helpful to think of Christianity as this evolving experience that things are being set into motion even now that will lead to even greater things than we know. You know, what was Jesus thinking about? Was he thinking, you know, um, they're going to build amazing hospitals. They're going to change the way people think about uh, governments. They're, you know, the, they're going to put a person on the moon. They're going to, there's all the things that we can think of that have happened since Jesus walked on the planet. And, and to say there, we have done amazing things. Sometimes we only remember the horrible things we do to each other, but we also do amazingly good things too. Um, remember Jesus uh, or John's gospel starts with the first miracle, the first sign it's called is the changing water into wine. And most of us would say, well, I've never changed water into wine. I've never seen anything like that. But we've changed many, many things in the world to do miraculous things. So we've made our little smartphones do amazing things that or penicillin <laughs> penicillin or heart transplants or um therapy or just the goodness of falling in love to say many wonderful things happen in the world for many many people and Jesus is saying when you see good things happening Things changed from what was boring or dull or lifeless into something life-giving and good and powerful and hopeful. You have already seen God. That is God. I really love all of that. And 
as we were reading the text today, I got tripped up and couldn't concentrate anymore after that part, kind of in the middle about if you ask for anything in my name, I will give it to you. And then, and then he doubles down and says, no, seriously, if you, if you ask in my name for anything, I will do it. It's and like, I think ugh. that is a place that trips us up because we say, but I have prayed for things that right. haven't happened. I have asked God for things. And if Jesus is supposed to do it, whatever, why can't he heal my grandma? Why can't he um, make this trouble in my life get resolved? I can't stand it anymore. I've prayed and prayed and prayed, and I'm not getting any answers. Well, I think what's interesting, though, is that if it is in my name, you ask for anything. That that The clue is in the way that he says it. And what was most important for Jesus was this sense of being one with God, um, that that's the deepest answer to every life challenge is to abide in the love of God. And that's the truest answer to every prayer. So in a sense, Jesus is saying here, if if you ask to be in God's love, you got it. Um, it, it is – it is there for you. I, I'm not sure this is suggesting the kinds of prayers that most of us usually ask for, which is a fix to our problems or something that would make our life a little better. This is about faith and abiding in God. And in the Lord's Prayer, we always ask, your will be done. And I, I wonder if part of this being one with God is having our will aligned with God's will, even when we have no idea what that might look like, and trusting that if we pray for that, it's going to be good because God wills what's good. And and even if we can't make sense of how God choosing not to answer the prayer as we've asked it, still somehow in that God is working Good. I think that's a challenging thing for us, but I think maybe that's part of what it's getting at here. Well, we should probably wind up for today. We've reached the end of the Easter cycle with Pentecost. It's 50 days since Easter and 40 days before that, the beginning of Lent, uh, the time that we chose to record this podcast. So, we're going to take a little break from recording, but we'll be back, and we would love to know what you would like to hear. If there are topics of interest to you, if there are discussions that you would like to listen in on, drop us a note at pastors at org. We want this podcast to respond to your needs, your questions, so that you can be faithful as a follower of Jesus. As usual, we thank the amazing Paul Friesen Carper for providing the music between the segments. And we invite you to join us for worship every Sunday at 8.15 or 10 o'clock. If you like what you've heard today, click the subscribe button on whatever service you found us on. We also invite you to rate us and to write a review. Thank you so much for joining us today. Know that the Holy Spirit is with you and God loves you and God will provide whatever you ask for in Jesus' name. This has been What Does This Mean? 
a podcast created by Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. You can find Gloria Day online at www.gloriadaystpaul.org. This podcast has been produced by Minnesota Podcasting, and they can be found online at www.mnpodcasting.com.